I want to call your attention to something in the bulletin. There's a graphic called Holiday Hope. Uh, for years, we uh, had a, um, a name, Winter Harvest, and it was brought to our attention. That doesn't really aptly describe what we're trying to do, so the name Holiday Hope was suggested because we're going to bring hope to some children uh, for Christmas this year. So as you look at that and prepare, that'll start next week, and you can be a part of that. Just want to make sure you, you follow along with a little bit of a name change. So you know, I usually begin my sermon encouraging you to turn to the bulletin on the back. There's an outline you can follow along, take notes if that helps you. Uh, and then I encourage you to open your Bible to the text. But last week, I encouraged you to turn to a Acts 29, a chapter that doesn't exist. And so I thought about that. So whenever I tell you to turn to a chapter, some of you are not going to trust me <laughs> ever again. You think, does that verse exist? But in a sense, there is an Acts chapter 29. That's the point we made last week. We are living Acts 29. The story of Jesus continues. We've got good news. It's the best news. Jesus said he was leaving so the Holy Spirit would come and those who are baptized into Christ receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit continues to work in and through his people. The book of Acts sometimes is just called that, Acts. Sometimes you bought your Bible or some of the Bibles you may have, it may be worded Acts of the Apostles. Does that ring a bell? Uh, I can't remember who it was who said this to me first, but it's always stuck with me that perhaps a better description of this would be Acts of the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that? Because that's what's happening in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is working through his people. Well, I want us this morning to see another great example of this in the book of Acts. Other than Jesus, the Apostle Paul is probably the most well-known person in all the New Testament. And understandably so, he wrote so much of the New Testament. He was enormously successful and passionate in his work for the Lord. And the book of Acts records amazing stories about his missionary journeys but in our lesson today, I want us to see while his conversion story was incredibly dramatic, the Lord chose to work through an obscure, not well-known man named Ananias at a pivotal time in his life, he was visited by Ananias. In fact, Luke's recording in the story in Acts chapter 9, and Paul shares the story again in Acts chapter 22. Those are the only two times in the whole Bible that we read about Ananias. We don't know a lot about him. Yet his obedience to God not only impacted Saul, who became Paul, but then through Paul continued to impact millions. Think about how much his writings, his, Paul's inspired writings, have impacted you even today. So, if you trust me, turn to Acts chapter 9, and let's get some background. Saul is a powerful leader, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's doing everything he can to oppose the spread of Christianity. He sees Christians as a threat to everything he believes in, the whole Jewish way of life. And so Saul has personally taken it upon himself to have these Christians thrown into prison. His goal was for them to either give up this radical belief or be executed. So we first read of Saul back in Acts chapter 7, when those who were stoning Stephen to death laid their coats at Saul's feet. Stephen was the first martyr of the Christian faith. 
And then Luke's wording is quite chilling as he begins Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. And as you can imagine, the news of his stoning spread caused Christians to scatter. We talked about that last week. That's why Philip left Jerusalem, went up to Samaria, had great success there. So many of them spread out. And the Bible describes Saul like a methodical madman going house to house, looking for men and women, anybody who claims to follow Jesus. His ultimate goal was to wipe out this whole segment of society. So follow along with me on the text. It's going to be on the screen. If you want to read from your Bibles, it's Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So put yourself in Saul's sandals for a little bit. You doubt the claims of Christians, and you know the law, the belief system that you have just given your whole life to, and, and, and this new way is an, is an affront to the Jewish faith. So your goal is to prove that this man who was crucified, this Jesus of Nazareth, is not the true Messiah. To you, this man is dead, and you want all of his followers to accept that, to move on. Chapter closed. So to make certain that his beliefs die with him, you are a man on a mission. And until that day, you are traveling to Damascus, and this incredible light from heaven blinds you, knocks you to your feet. Look at verse 4. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Jesus then tells you to get up, go to the city, and you're going to be told more information, what you need to know, what you need to do. Now those who heard the voice, but they couldn't see anyone. That's what the text tells us there. But you knew who it was. Jesus appeared to you. And your life would be forever changed. But what do you need to know? What do you need to do next? Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 8. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So understanding a little bit of the background then, let's consider some obstacles to influencing others. Because in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, we see that there was a little bit of a roadblock, or at least an Ananias' mind. And we understand this. Look at verse 10. So there's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He's seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So three days he's blind. He's not eating. But the text tells us here he's praying. Don't you know he's praying? What does this mean? What's going to happen? What's coming next? And God has given him a vision about this man named Ananias coming to help him. Look at verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on his name. 
We understand Ananias, don't we? I mean, God is asking him to do an amazing thing, and Ananias is just, just coming clean with God, saying, Lord, I, I just don't know about this plan. I think I may have told you years ago, I was with some of our teenagers at Harding's summer camp called Uplift, and they had a prayer wall. And this is back when Osama bin Laden was at his peak of just threatening the U.S. And so there was talk in our country about just take him out, just, just, just take him out. And on that prayer wall, don't know who it was, boy, girl, don't know, but there was a teenager that had been a part of that camp who wrote on that prayer wall, Oh Lord, help Osama bin Laden to come to know Jesus. And I thought about that, that a teenager got it, understood. And then fast forward years later when our country did take him out and so much was rejoicing that this madman was finally killed, I thought back to that teenager who had prayed for his salvation, that that man died without knowing Jesus. So when Ananias says, Lord, you know, I've heard some things about Saul. He's a dangerous man. And the Lord replies basically, absolutely. I know how powerful he is that I'm going to use him for good. I've got plans for him. Look what he says, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Go. Same one word directive that the Spirit said to Philip. Go. But this time, an explanation is given, a reason. He is a chosen instrument of mine to share the gospel, to royalty, to the Jews, and to the Gentiles. While God speaks to Ananias in a vision, don't you know Satan was there as well? Just saying, wait, 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 this can't happen. Surely, surely there's got to be another plan. Don't waste your breath on him. He's not going to listen to you. Who are you, Ananias? What do you know? Why is Saul of Tarsus going to listen to you? Our Sunday morning class that I'm a part of, we're studying Ephesians. And there's a passage where we're in right now, and it talks about the futility of our minds. Faulty thinking. And Paul makes the case about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. An old way of thinking and a new way of thinking. Folks, that is true today. We can have a wrong way of thinking and not even realizing it. A number of years ago, researchers took a large aquarium, several hundred gallons, put a, 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 a northern pike in it, and they would feed him his favorite food, minnows. He was living the best life until the researchers put in a piece of plexiglass in between dividing the tank into two, the northern pike on one side, the minnows into the other. Well, he would just relentlessly hit his head, just trying to, into the plexiglass, trying to get to the other side where his food was. And it was just over and over, just beating his head, until finally he just gave up. He just accepted the fact that he couldn't get to his food. Well, then the researchers lifted that plexiglass. Any guess as to what happened next? He starved to death. Those men were all around him, easy within just grabbing a bite, but he would not. His mind had become convinced. He had accepted the fact that he was not going to be able to eat them. 
The mind was playing a trick on him. There's a lot of things. I want us to get this. We get conditioned to believe. Everybody around us is thinking it. The world just accepts it. Maybe you grew up thinking it. But as Paul would say, it's the futility of your minds. You need to put that away and understand what does God say about us. Because we've got behaviors, attitudes, actions. Somewhere along the line, we see, we sense these barriers And we just sit on our hands. We just keep our mouths shut. We don't dare to go. We don't dare to respond. We don't dare to act. And and these barriers of fear and doubt and insecurity, maybe it's pride. When will we open our eyes and realize the Holy Spirit has removed the plexiglass and He wants to work through us to take care of His mission? To impact, influence as many people as we can. And we make excuses. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't know enough. That's not me. I can't relate to kids. If I speak up at work, I'm going to lose my job. We are so good to come up with excuses. Lord, I've heard many things about this man. How much evil he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. Every obstacle is motivated or conditioned by some barrier, fear, insecurity, laziness, unbelief. And like that northern pike, we swim in circles. We go through life oblivious that there's all these opportunities right before us to make an impact. But remember the words Paul wrote to Timothy. It's like at Timothy 2, 1 and 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love, and of self-discipline. When Paul tells the conversion story later in Acts chapter 22, he describes Ananias as a devout man, highly respected. So let's kind of follow the story here and understand some characteristics the Holy Spirit uses to influence others. Because the Spirit of God is powerful. Think about how often when Jesus would do a miracle, he would attribute the power to the Holy Spirit, making sure everybody understood that. So why would God choose then to work through Ananias to influence Paul? What's going on here? I mean, think about what's happening here. Jesus appears to Saul on the road, speaks to him. How amazing is that? Why didn't Jesus tell him everything he needed to know? Have you ever thought about that? And in the meantime, for those three days while he's blind, not eating, waiting, praying, the Lord is appearing to him in a vision, telling him. The Scripture says specifically that Ananias is coming. But why didn't God tell him in the vision what he needed to know? He didn't work that way. Instead, he chose to work through an obscure person Named Ananias. What do we know about him? Nothing. All we know is that when God says, I need you to go, he got up and went. Not without saying, Lord, do you know what I know? And the Lord knew what he knew. In fact, even more so. So first, notice this. There are some characteristics. And what we see here, be credible. That's what we read about. Acts 22, verse 12, Ananias was a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Even though he's a Christian, 
The Jews thought well of him. Think of what that says about him as a person. A man of integrity. A man who was credible. A man who was consistent in the way he lived. And when invited by God to have a face-to-face meeting with his very dangerous enemy, I mean, we understand Ananias voicing his concerns, but we also see him courageously, faithfully obeying what God said to do. Maybe that's why the Lord chose him. So live a life that communicates credibility. Your witness, your example, earns you the right to influence others. Well, number two, be obedient. We read the text, Ananias went to the house. Now, we don't know if he still had fear. I would say he did. One author said, I wonder if he uh, hid a knife in his clothes just to defend himself in case he needed it. I hadn't thought about that before. Maybe it's just so full of faith he, he did not. We don't know what he's thinking. The Bible doesn't tell us. But when he arrives, instead of finding this formidable foe, he finds a broken, helpless, repentant man eager to listen. Listen to what Paul shared about what happened as he accounts the Acts 22, verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing by me, said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. If the power of the Holy Spirit can work through a Christian named Ananias to have a face-to-face meeting with a well-known murderer named Saul, what can he do through you? Oh, that we'd open our eyes and just see opportunities, what's out there, what the Spirit wants to do and work through us. Parents, would He open your eyes to see your children as an incredible opportunity for you to plant a seed of faith, for you to live a life of consistency so they see in you a spirit of obedience and trust and want to follow your example? Students, how can God work through you to stand up for what's right, to be that light, to serve Him at work? How could you be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be an example in your obedience, in your exemplary work ethic? Even when everybody else is giving up or cutting corners, you are that devout woman, that devout man, that consistent follower of Jesus. Your attitude, your obedience affects your ability to influence others. Luke writes, Acts 9, verse 18, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. Well, another part of making ourselves available to the Holy Spirit is to be thorough. To be thorough. There may be times where we stop short and leave some things out of what God wants from us. Saul, who became Paul, is in this this awkward waiting stage. What what does God want from me? What's next? What's the message going to be? What's going to happen? He was waiting to hear. 
Sometimes we talk about attending church, attending church, attending church, attending church. But do we neglect talking about cultivating your own personal relationship with Jesus? What it really means when, when Paul wrote to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. We may speak of doing good things, serving others, especially those who are in need, but fail to mention getting in the Word and getting the Word in you. The Bible talks about being washed by the Word. Ever thought about that? What it means to be washed by the Word? We may talk about salvation. But do we talk about discipleship? Not just making Jesus your Savior, but what it means to make Him your Lord. And some people fall short, they stop, when it comes to baptism. But notice in the book of Acts, in every conversion story, baptism by immersion is mentioned. It was not put off until later. It was not a part two. It was not just symbolic. It was an essential step. They realized they were lost. They realized they needed salvation. They needed Jesus. And baptism was included in their response. Saul had been fasting for three days when his sight was restored. And Ananias does not say to Saul, let's get you some food. You must be starving. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, well, since Jesus spoke to you directly, since God's given you a vision, you don't need to be baptized. He doesn't do that. The first thing he says, Acts twenty two sixteen. now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And we see this again and again in the book of Acts, this, this example after an example, a, a pattern, if you will, of those who committed their life to Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were baptized. Acts chapter 8, we talked about last week, Philip there was sharing with Jesus with the Ethiopian who on his own, understanding who Jesus is, the good news says, here's water, why can I not be baptized? Jesus said, if you, Peter said, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you may. He makes the confession that both get out, they're baptized. We see that again and again. Today, Ananias finds Saul, one of the first things he says to him, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Why? Why is that? Why would God say that for us? Well, I think immersion is powerful because it's humbling. Baptism is a very humbling act. It's done to you. You submit. It's a demonstration of your devotion to Christ. It's like a wedding that kind of marks the moment. Ethelgard Smith has a book about baptism. In fact, I highly recommend it. It's called Baptism, the Believer's Wedding Ceremony. And he makes the point that, yes, you had faith before your baptism. Yes, you had a relationship with God before your baptism. But just like a wedding, you look back to that moment. This was the day we were married. This was the hour of our ceremony. And it marks that commitment. That's what you see in Scripture. Baptism was that important. Peter describes it as the answer of a good conscience. So be credible. Be obedient. And be thorough. Well, let me kind of close or kind of wrap this up by a few quick observations about how God worked through Ananias and I believe can continue to work through us. Here's the first thing. God is always working in people's lives. We can learn that from this story. God was working in Saul's life 
Jesus met him there on the road to Damascus, stopped him in his tracks. This dramatic conversion was started, but God was also working in Ananias' life, preparing him. I'm going to need you, Ananias, to be my voice to teach Saul what he needs to know. God was working in both of their lives, bringing them together. Why would we think that ends in Acts 28? That God at that point just stops working in our lives. He's continuing to unfold His plan according to His will, according to His timing. He wants everyone to be saved. And He will work through His people, some of them to stand before large crowds and tell about Jesus. And for some, it'll be like Ananias one-on-one in a home or a private setting. Here's what you need to know. Think about this. The next great man or woman of God who will do amazing things for his kingdom may be an infant, a baby, in our nursery this morning. Or maybe an elementary age boy or girl who's about to go to Faith Farm and learn more about Jesus and understand God's calling on their life. Or maybe one of our high school students who is hungering and thirsting for what is true and right. Right here among us, God was working in Saul's life to prepare him, but also in Ananias' life to get him ready. Which leads to the second observation. God will use you if you're willing. God will use you if you're willing. Even if you're hesitant or fearful, we can learn from Ananias here to utilize your fear to cause you to depend on God. Not to paralyze you, not to stop you in your tracks, not to say, no, no, not me, but to realize this is bigger than me. This is beyond my abilities. But God has opened my eyes to see the opportunity. So when you feel inadequate, when you feel uncertain about what your next step with God is going to be, when you're nervous about praying with your spouse, when when you feel insecure about sharing your faith, your mind goes blank, you keep going and you pray, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And don't you know He's going to answer that prayer when you are trying to obey Him and share Jesus with others. What I'm trying to say is that when you feel that you are at your least, when you're at the end of your rope, you don't know what to do, you don't feel equipped, you don't feel like you, you know enough, that is the moment when God's power will be most effective through you. That's what we see in Scripture again and again. If you are willing, God will use you. Well, number three, another observation. The potential and possibilities for impact are more than we can expect. More than we can expect. Our mission, our goal as a church, is striving to be completely committed followers of Jesus. And that first part is is about you. It's about your salvation. It's about your obedience. It's about your walk with the Lord. Completely committed followers of Jesus. But the second part, discipling, equipping, serving, and loving... That's about others. Whom are you discipling? Whom are you equipping? 
Whom are you serving? Whom are you loving? You were saved so God can work through you to make an impact on others. And the potential and the possibilities are more than we can even dream. Look at these two verses, Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then Galatians 3.20. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That's the powerful God that we serve. God is working in you and through you. He is able to do even more than you ask or imagine. So you decide today, I'm going to serve you, God, with all of my heart. Open my eyes to see the opportunities to do that and watch him work. Howard Hendricks is quoted as saying, I have never met anyone who planned on having a mediocre life, but I've met plenty of mediocre people. God specializes in doing what seems to be impossible to earth. He could take this militant opposer of the faith and transform him into this amazing defender of the faith and took the gospel well beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And we quote his words even today. And God uses this unknown Christian servant named Ananias, and that's all we know. He was Ananias, that's his name, And he was Ananias who obeyed what God told him to do. And God still does this today. He can use you to influence someone. Someone you may not even be thinking about. And that's the final observation. Be ready. When God says go, be ready. Some of you might remember this story. January 13th, 1982. I put a picture on the screen. Air Florida Flight 90 took off from Washington National Airport, Washington, D.C., from what was later determined to be pilot error. The the wings were not properly de-iced, causing the plane to descend uncontrollably right after takeoff. It, It hit a bridge full of motorists and then landed in the Potomac River. Air temperature that day was 24 degrees. The river was covered in ice. It's like a blizzard had hit D.C. And the gridlock of traffic and the people, it was a terrible time. More than 70 people perished with that flight. Initially, there were six survivors. And they were, they were floating on the, the plane wreckage or the floating pieces of ice in the water. But emergency vehicles, vehicles couldn't get there because of the gridlock of traffic, because of the icy conditions. No one could help. I mean, reaching survivors by boat, they couldn't get there because it was full of ice. And so the people just watched this in horror as these people were, were, were floating and then going under. Finally, a park helicopter came and was able to drop a line and try to get them to the shore one at a time. But because they had survived the crash, many of them had broken limbs and they were struggling even to hang on. So one at a time they would be drugged to the side, drugged to the side. There was one lady, Priscilla Torado, she survived the crash, her baby, her husband did not. She was covered with jet engine fuel so she couldn't see, she was blinded. She was so weak from the impact with all of her injuries, was in that freezing water For right at 30 minutes, when the line came to her, she couldn't hang on. 
She grabbed it and then, and, and then would let go. Congressional Budget Office Assistant Lenny Skutnik was watching it from the shore until he couldn't watch it anymore. He took off his coat and his boots and he dived in after her. According to the Washington Post, he said, she was screaming, would somebody please help me? It looked as though she had passed out. I jerked off my boots and coat and jumped in the water. Skutnik swam to the woman, dodging chunks of ice and crashed debris and pulled at her shore. Lenny Skutnik later said, when the girl needed saving, God looked around and said, any, many, miny, and your mo." so I jumped in. You may sense that God would have you get involved in some difficult, even impossible task. But oh, how cold the water looks. And how dangerous is that man and, 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 and all the harm he's doing to the saints in Jerusalem. How many people could do a better job than you? And Satan will remind you of your past failures. You just stand there. Somebody else who's a better swimmer, they're younger, they're more able, they'll, they'll, they'll help. When God taps you on the shoulder and says, and you're Mo, you be ready to go. Our text concludes by saying, after Saul's baptism, the people were astonished with the transformation. Can you wrap your brains around that transformation? Previously, the Jews loved him. I mean, he was like their, their star Jew. I mean, he was doing so much for their cause. And now, and now he had given his life to Jesus. And they knew there was no shutting him up. They knew how powerful God was going to work through him. So who is God sending into your path? How is God trying to open your eyes? God has saved you if you're a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit, and now he wants to work through you to make an impact on others. Maybe it's that baby in your arms. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's a neighbor. Or maybe for you, there's someone, their name is probably not Ananias. But God has been working on you and working through them to teach you about Jesus. And what you need to hear, I put it on the screen, same thing he said to Paul, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's our invitation. Let's stand and sing together. The Lord lived his countenance upon